Nil. My name is Quentin Irie. And I'm James King. And this is the show for those of us starting from scratch and trying not to screw things up too badly as we do. Every episode, one of us brings a topic from our lives that the other has not heard, and we explore that thought and many, many tangents along the way. This week, we're diving into part two of our media deep dive, I guess for lack of a better word, into looking at films or media that have changed Quentin or myself in drastic ways or ways that have impacted us strongly as we've grown up or in our adolescent lives. Quentin, have you seen a movie called A River Flows Through It? Uh, I don't think I've even heard of that. Really? Okay. I'm Googling it right now to make sure. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's great. It's uh, it's actually a book, I believe. It was a book first. I believe the book was written around 1907 or so, something like that. It has Brad Pitt. In, it's 1990. It's pretty like superstar Brad Pitt. Mm. So, and in fact, it's the role that many have called his breakout role because of his portrayal of the character in there it was considered extremely accurate to the source material, and it was kind of what gave him his start. I believe it's directed or written by Robert Redford. I think Steven Spielberg maybe directed it, something like that. Let's see. Robert Redford directed it, and he's the narrator. Uh, screenplay was Richard Friedenberg. I don't know if I know any of his work. I don't know who that uh, is. Release date was October 9th, 1992. Yeah, I've never even heard of this thing. When did you did you see this recently? I saw it this last week, actually, as a matter of fact. It was on a list on Art of Manliness called 100 Movies That I Think Men Should See Before They Die or something. I think, I think we've talked about that. Yeah, list yeah, before. we've talked about this list. I haven't actually gone back to it, so it's interesting. That yeah, it's I hadn't either. Up. And I was, I was like, you know, I had some spare time in between my horrible accounting class, and I was just thinking, you know, I should watch you know, this movie. It's not thinking that it was going to be this super dramatic piece that actually hits you like a bag of bricks at the end was not exactly what I needed to uplift me. But at the same time, it was absolutely phenomenal. It was, it's really good. It's, it's one of those movies that you think if you, and that's why when people ask what it's about, it's one of those that you probably shouldn't tell them because if you do, it makes it sound less interesting. It's like, oh, it's a movie about fly fishing, you know, with a, a, a dad and his two sons. Like that sounds pretty boring, but that's not really what it's about. It's, it has a, a much deeper meaning than that. It's filmed out in Montana. The scenery is gorgeous. I think it won a, a um, whatever you win for cinematography. What is it, an Oscar? I don't know. Probably an Oscar. So, yeah. <laughs> an Oscar. Okay. Some French guy filmed it out there, won an Oscar for that. But anyway, great movie. Highly recommend it. It was very good. It's like, kind of like a roller coaster. It's sort of like a nostalgic American, all American period piece it's set in the 20s so that's cool anyway i thought it was really great i really i really highly recommend it it's one of those it kind of leaves you a little bit melancholy but it's also a great ride and uh, i was just curious if you'd seen it because i thought it was really good so yeah it sounds a little bit like uh john grisham's novel a painted house which is actually my first grisham novel funnily enough because everyone kind of associates him with like the lawyer stories and all that kind of genre. That's what I would do, yeah. Yeah, and so my first was this novel, which is has none of that. It's this kid, I think he, I, it's been a long time since I read it, but I want to say he's around eight years old. And it just kind of follows his life in the South, and they're on a, some kind of plantation or farm, and all of the events are very micro. Like, you get invested in the world, and it means a lot to you once you're there but if you were to just describe the story to someone it doesn't sound very interesting at all but it's fantastically done one of my favorite novels so those might be complimentary pieces of media there i would say just because i haven't heard that either i would say at a cursory just hearing you describe it it does sound very similar and you know it's it's freaking brad pitt so you gotta you gotta like it. it's great <laughs> 
Um, anyway, <laughs> I was just curious if, if you'd seen it. So yeah, man. Well, that's perfect. I think uh, we are pretty much good to jump right in. Then we got a little bit of bonus media there for people to check yeah. out. I'm definitely going to go check out that movie. Maybe in the next week, might have some follow up for you when we get to recording the next podcast. You can uh, you can find it on Sony Crackle. So Great there you go, for free. <laughs> <laughs> do they run ads on that? They do. A lot Boo. of ads. <laughs> Boo. A lot of ads. I'd almost rather pay the whatever it is to rent it than deal. It with really that. takes you out of it when you have yeah. you know all the stuff, and suddenly it's, it's you know an Amazon microwave ad or something. Gross. Anyway, uh, I think the only other bit of introduction is, of course, we're doing our verbal ticks game. So far, both of us are terrible accounting for the other person, but through whatever fluke, we are one and one so far in the, the two times we played it, so this will be a tiebreaker round. Oh boy. Let's see Nail what butter. happens. Yeah, exactly. Were we supposed to start counting, or I'm, I'm getting my pen out right now, so we can start from now. Yeah, I only really count once the monologue starts. That's my policy, mostly for my own grace, because in this early part, I'm still kind of getting my sea legs and I screw up all the time. No, I hear you. It's, it's makes you, it makes you slow down and think about it. But. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I got my pen ready to go. Beautiful. So in that case, I think we're good to go this week. Media part two. The talking before the talking has come to an end. Now enjoy the main talking so today we're talking about supernatural supernatural is a science fiction television series i believe the longest consecutively running science fiction television series of all time i want to say and it ran from 2004 2005 till present i believe the finale is coming out in a couple of weeks or something like that i don't follow it really as closely as i used to supernatural was one of those series that really impacted me a lot growing up i started watching it when i was probably in about high school same time that a lot of integral things were happening in my family. I watched Supernatural 24, I think, were my two my two big ones. Also, Psych Horse, because that's just a classic. And, you know, it's kind of almost a rite of passage as a homeschooler, I feel like. That's pretty <laughs> pretty well watched. Supernatural is kind of on the fringe a little bit. And um, I was actually talking to my, to my roommate, who's a Catholic, and he really likes Supernatural. I think there's a lot of Catholic undertones, maybe, with like your holy water and your, your crucifixes and whatever else. So, anyway, that kind of influences the lore a little bit. But... Really good series in like one through three. It started out as kind of like this campy cult following series and it kind of grew into this larger overarching television drama, which kind of took a lot of a lot of quality out of it, in my opinion, once you hit like season seven, season eight. The protagonists of the series are Sam and Dean Winchester, two brothers who are searching for monsters and, and mayhem, what have you, and seeking to kind of set things right as they go across the country in their 1967 Impala, Chevrolet Impala, it really hit me a lot at about 17, 18 years old when I saw a lot of similarities between myself and Sam in the in the series and then the, their dad and my father. And that was kind of where it related a lot to me, uh, helped me through a lot that I was going through when I kind of saw how he was able to stand up and do and do certain things. But anyway, so you, you only saw the pilot, Hugh. You haven't actually really watched the series. What did you think of watching this this episode kind of out of context? So, like you said, I've seen the pilot episode, what I, which I watched with you. I think it was at a long time ago. either a debate camp or a debate tournament, something. There was some occasion, because I remember we were in a hotel room. That's all I really know, <laughs> is we were in a hotel room for some kind of competition. For a definitely legitimate reason. For a very legitimate reason, we were in a hotel room, right. sharing a bed and watching this yeah, show. same bed. Right. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> I need to really paint a vivid picture here and make sure everyone mm-hmm. knows where we're at. I've never had anything against the show. I can't quantify it, but I've never really just felt drawn to it. It's never anything that I've felt the urge to pick up. That's like uh, Parks and Rec for me. Is, is there that... you go. Yeah. See, and I really like Parks and Rec. 
it's just one that uh, I couldn't I couldn't say there's any particular reason why I'm I've never been attracted to it. Just haven't been. That being said, I have seen the first episode with you, and then recently rewatched this episode. What's the? It's season season one episode twenty. Season one episode twenty. So jumped in here with season one episode twenty, and. I actually really enjoyed this episode. It was it gave off a lot of procedural vibes kind of with this supernatural pun not intended twist. And I think I'm especially friendly to that format at this particular moment because I'm working my way through X-Files. And Mm. so I'm only in like season two of that. But that also has a very procedural vibe, even kind of a mystical vibe to it at times. They have their own vampire episode, I think, in season two. The vampire, what, the bad blood? You're talking about bad blood? I think so. No, maybe that's later. There, there is a there is a hilarious line. I think, it, I think it's later on. It's called Bad Blood. It's where they're they're after this vampire, but they both have very different accounts of the story. Ah, then I have not gotten there yet. Oh my gosh, it's great. Anyway, I won't write it for you. Half of the account <laughs> is Scully, and then half the account is Mulder, and as you would imagine, they're both very different. Of course, of course. I'm trying to figure it out here. That it's season two, episode three, which is called Blood. They okay. have like very X Files esque vampires, so they're not you know straight up like you would imagine them. They have their own twist to it, but really good episode, really good time. So all that to say, as I'm going through the X Files, I'm kind of warmed up to that more procedural vibe. I can get into a procedural, but it takes a little bit. Like it has to be really good. Uh, the format of a procedural I find gets really tiring. Sure, like a Monster of the Week format. Yeah, exactly. Freak of the week type thing. So because I was warmed up to it and because I was kind of seeing this episode divorced of any of the context, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. I was kind of paying attention for those family dynamics because you had kind of prepped me in with that in our conversations on the podcast previously. So I was watching for that and seeing I have like a vague awareness of some of the plot from hanging out with you. I have a lot of questions, but there was some of it that I was kind of able to fill in the gaps and see what was going on. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how you guide this conversation because I have a lot of kind of unformatted thoughts on it, but I don't really know what direction to take it because of the the lack of context, I guess I have. So that's a little rambly, but I hope that's helpful. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I didn't really have any particular direction I wanted to take it in. I just I just was curious if you had, if, if you react to it at all. I know X-Files for us is both a shared interest, by the way. Great show. Absolutely. But no, I didn't really have a particular direction. I mean, I, as our viewers probably know by now, if you're viewers, listeners, if you've been with <laughs> us for, for, you know, an episode or two, you kind of know that this show follows things that have impacted us and we kind of follow different ideas or different thoughts, different, diff- any, anything that's really impacted us in any significant way. And I think that that show really did that for me in, in a time that I needed that to happen. We talked about before how these strong male characters really for me were very helpful when I, when I had sort of an absent dad, sort of a lot like the, the two guys in Supernatural. And so Sam's kind of anger and frustration with his dad never really being present, I guess I resonated a lot with. And I never, and that's kind of what irritated me with Dean because I, I didn't understand why he was so accepting of that. And I guess it was because he had, Dean was older, I guess, when their dad left. So he was able to kind of process that more. Sam was not really, he was two or three, I think, when their dad left. And it's kind of, you don't really know the context of the show as much. I'm kind of trying to help fill in the gaps. Yeah. Well, here, let's do this real quick. So, because I think there's a lot of really interesting 
stuff and exactly what you're about to dive into. But what might be helpful for me and for the listener who's not as familiar, we can just go ahead and say, give a spoiler warning, like anything up to this point in the show, maybe just say supernatural in general. So we have complete freedom. If you haven't seen it and you're worried about us spoiling it, we're not going to be worried about it. So this might not, you might want to tune in once you're further along or whatever. Yeah. Go back and watch all 15 seasons and come back Exactly. <laughs> That's a reasonable expectation. I think. I think absolutely. Fill me in. First of all, like before we get into the personal relationship that you have to the series because it seems like there's elements of it that i need to know you know and the listener might need to know in order to better understand that fill me in like what's the what's the supernatural for dummies abbreviated version that i need to know in order to to get how this is important to you or the importance that this show has for you oh sure okay so you have these the i guess the pilot is when you have their mom their mom dies it's the hands of some supernatural force i'm not sure what it is Fast forward 20 years, Sam's at college, Dean is off, kind of following in his father's footsteps, hunting hunting monsters and what have you. Their dad's kind of gone off on his own. He's chasing after this, what he thinks is some sort of demon or something. So he's off on his own. He thinks it's too dangerous for his sons to be involved with. Dean comes back to Stanford, where Sam is at school, and he gets him. He's like, hey, we dad needs our help. And so they kind of start on this trail. The, the first season where they're kind of trying to find their, their rhythm, the series, is they're kind of on just like this hunt for their dad. And as they, as they kind of catches catches momentum as the series goes to kind of develop their own own subplot and kind of do their own thing. In fact, the dad's not in any of the rest of the series after season two, I think, wow. which is weird because he's such an integral part of season one. That's pretty much the driving force of the, of the plot is they're trying to find their dad. Sam is Sam is upset because his dad didn't want him to go to college. And when he left, he kind of, I guess, begrudged him that. And he, he never really got along with his dad. And Dean is the, I guess, the opposite, kind of the more obedient older brother who kind of thinks... I don't know. He didn't necessarily really understand everything his dad does, but I guess he's more willing to accept it because he distrusts him unequivocally, and that unequivocal trust irritates Sam. So that kind of leads up to the episode that we're in. They finally find their dad, and now Sam is is angry basically because their dad's kind of been avoiding them. Say, oh, you know, you can't handle this. You're too you're too young or whatever. And Dean is just like, hey, trust him. See what he see what he has kind of to to show us. So that's kind of where you, I guess, where you come to the to episode 20, more or less. Perfect. That would be kind of the very, very broad picture. So that uh, that fills in a lot of what I was looking for in terms of just like what leads them to this. And you see a lot of those dynamics in what they're dealing with throughout this episode. Like I could tell that they had been with him for a little bit now, but there was obviously this tension there. And specifically what you had already been getting at, the thing that was that stood out to me the most was the difference in how Sam and Dean relate to their dad after this trauma that they both experience essentially and the the blind faith and respect that dean has i'm if i mix up their names at any point just let me know whereas sam is more questioning and he has like the whole big blow up moment where he's like you need to stop leading us on essentially you need to explain what's going on before i'm gonna just follow you exactly so i'm wondering if you can, as much as you want to, obviously, I don't want to pry into into issues that are beyond the scope of this podcast or beyond what you're comfortable sharing. But I'm wondering, like, broaden out that picture now on the other side of things as far as how that relates to your family experience so we can get a picture from there of how this impacted you and helped you grow through what you were experiencing in your own family. Sure. And I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'll try to strike a good balance here and not really overshare, but I also want to give an accurate picture, I guess. So I, I you and I have talked about this probably a couple times, mm-hmm. I would imagine. So you, I mean, you kind of already know a lot, but I'll try to, I'll try to do my best to make it to where it's not too much, but not, 
too vague. Basically, uh, my dad had been an issue in the home for a long time leading up to this point. It kind of experienced that same progression as the series, right? It's like this slow build of tension uh, to your blow-up moment, if you will. The blow-up moment was the day that he was arrested, taken out of the home. And that was the day that basically I stood up and said enough. Um, I remember ripping the door of my of my room open, and I, I was I, that was probably the angriest I've ever been in my entire life. I think he was either yelling at my mom or or my or one of my sisters. I just remember this this feeling just welling up inside, like inside my chest. I felt like I could punch through a wall at that point. I mean, I was so mad. I felt a lot of that connection, you know, watching that series, I was like, this, this kind of, and I think I, I don't know if I watched that episode before or after that happened with my dad, but I felt a lot of, the, a lot of connection to Sam's character there. And I think, I think I, I had seen that before that all happened because up at that point, I was unsure of kind of how to respond to my dad acting like that. And I was like, am I really allowed to, to, to question him at all? Because growing up in a very reformed Christian home, and that's not obviously my mom's fault or, or my church's fault or anything. You, you kind of learn to just, you know, whatever your dad says goes. And most of the time that's fine because dads are, are great and they mean well and they have your best interests at heart. But what if that's not the case, right? And so I had a, and to go off on a kind of a tangent here to the side. Absolutely. Um, that's our thing. I had, well, that's true. Tangential <laughs> ideas. You, you, there wasn't a whole lot of, of solace in the church in terms of if you go to your pastor, they're not in this particular church kind of just like, oh, well, you know, um, you need to listen to your dad or, or, or listen. And so, well, that doesn't, that's not helping me. When at one point my dad had literally said, if I say, you know, it's raining outside and it's not and it's sunny, you say that it is if I say that it is. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's not how that works. And that's yeah. a very I'm using a very, very um, watered down example as compared to a lot of things that happen. But once again, yeah. I don't want to get too far into it. But I remember, you know, one of the pastors in particular, we're not at this church anymore, telling my mom, well, you just probably just need to be more submissive. It's like, um, n- no, that's not. <laughs> That's not at all. That is not at all what's going to solve this problem. Like after going through this this long, you know, explanation of what's going on in the home, like that was his response. So, really going to the church with that question didn't work. wasn't an option for me. So I guess I got it from media, and I was like, no, it is okay. When your dad is is so so clearly in the wrong and abusing his power so much, it is absolutely acceptable to stand up and say, you know, enough. I think that that series in that way impacted me very strongly and. Another line that really hit me just rewatching it before we talked just now is when the dad was kind of reconciling with Sam later in the episode, he said, you know, at some point I became, I stopped becoming your father and started becoming your drill sergeant. Mm. And that was a lot of the, of the relationship of the second half of my life with my dad at home. That's how I felt with him. I mean, and I hate to say that there was, there was no personal connection whatsoever. And so really when he left, a lot of people ask me a lot, you know, did you, was that hard? You know, how did you process? Like, well, he was, to, to tell you the truth, he was gone a long time before he was gone, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So he left the home in spirit long before he physically left. So anyway, all that to say, um, I think that that series really em- emboldened me a lot. And I think that may be kind of silly to, to, to put that much emphasis on a series. And obviously God had everything to do with it. But in terms of me not being able to really find that emulated somewhere else, when I saw that in Supernatural, I was like, okay, you know, no, no, you kind of reassure what I already felt. Like, no, it is okay to stand up to. I don't want to say evil. That seems like a lot, but it is. It is okay to stand up to to abuse and say no. And granted, we weren't ever physically abused or anything like that as kids. But all that to say, I think that that series had a very profound impact on me with that with that whole interaction that particular day for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, there's a ton to that. Like that's exactly what I was looking for, by the way. Like just seeing kind of the the situation that you find yourself in, because I think that adds a, a level of weight to this. Because you know, for even for me, and I think for a lot of our audience, approaching a show like this, especially divorced from the context of even the show, and then uh, furthermore, divorced from your experience, I think that experience is a ton of what adds weight to the media that influences us, the fa- the time that it finds us, and just our own personal headspace. And so understanding where you were at experiencing this, I think, is a ton of what makes this an important thing for you. And like, I mean, you even kind of were starting to address it there, where like, if you were to just say the end of the story that you just said without any of the context of what preceded it, it sounds a little silly where you're like, and this is why this episode of the the procedural show Supernatural had a huge impact <laughs> on my development as a human being. Right, 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 right. But when you put it in the context of everything that comes before it, it's like, oh, wow, this actually makes a lot of sense. And I think there's power in that. And it's a power that can be understated or under recognized a lot of times in in all circles really i have a couple questions one idea that i find incredibly interesting and compelling is the the idea that you know you have this church you have this structure that for us as christians is is really built for this exact kind of situation right it's your family outside of your biological family and for a lot of us like we see that as a as a something that we can fall back on it's a support system so when it fails like that it's scary it's it's hard to know what to turn to and it's interesting then that media kind of filled in for you as a kid at the time what needed to be done and what was important and it's interesting but also a little bit terrifying because for me, at least, it seems like that's something that could have gone so wrong, you know, like turning to having a, having media influence you in that place where the church has failed you could have easily been something much more sinister or wrong, just flat out, as opposed to something that's malicious, just something that's wrong and bad, uh, because you never know what you're going to get when you're going to to the world, right? Well, yeah, I think about a lot of kids that probably that we know in a lot of the same circles either turn to either sex or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is or with a, they start running with a bad crowd and you kind of, you try to find something to fill that emotional vacuum, I guess, for for lack of a better term. And exactly. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I was very, very fortunate for that to not have been any of those things. Yeah. So I guess to bring it to some kind of question, because I'm really just kind of stating what I think right now. Do you, what do you attribute that to? Like you kind of mentioned God. Do you just think that that's like a complete God thing? Do you think there were other elements that affected it? What is the, what do you think of that? Is it something that had even crossed your mind before? Or were you just like, this is, this is just how it happened? You mean in terms of, of how do I think that I was affected in the right ways and not the wrong ways, I guess? Yeah, exactly. Like, how is it that you came to be influenced by Supernatural and the even, I mean, even within Supernatural itself, I'm sure, I, again, not having seen the whole show, that you could have been influenced by the wrong things instead of That's the true. right things, you know? That's true. So yeah. how is it that you came not only to find a show that had these elements, but then took what you need to from the right elements and not the wrong ones? I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I would say all that would have, would have had to have been God. Cause I mean, I wasn't, I don't think I was actively looking for a series that, Oh, me, let me try to find a way to emulate that. You know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> that wasn't, that didn't really cross my mind. So I was, I, that had to have been put in my life by God. Like you said, I mean, and I'll make no excuses for it. Supernatural is some pretty questionable content sometimes. <laughs> so it's not like it's this great, you know, great show that I'm putting up on a pedestal. I just at a particular point in my life at a particular 
episode, there was a particular character, you know, quality that I saw that really helped me kind of solidify something that I had already kind of been wrestling with. That is it okay to question authority? Absolutely. You know, so that that was kind of what I was wrestling with, with all the dynamics in my in my church and and things that I've been taught growing up, even from my dad, you know, ever question this, you know, and, it's, and of course, there's a right and a wrong way to do that. And I'm not, you know, advocating for rebellion or, you know, go and just question your parents all the time just because you can type of thing. But when there's a clear biblical violation, you know, of that authority, then I think absolutely it's okay to sit down and have a discussion. If there's not a, a rational discussion willing to be had, then you might have to turn to, there might have to be something else that happens. So, I mean, that's just the reality. So, but to go back to your question, I mean, absolutely. I think it was, I think it was God. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to, to explain it. I think that part of it's just my personality too. I don't really, I didn't ever really look to, to fulfill my needs, I guess, in these sort of other ne more negative ways not i mean i'm not knocking anybody that did wrestle with that or had trouble with that it's just not something that i did but i would say absolutely that that would have had to have been god i say you and i are pretty similar in that sense in terms of we don't you know i don't know i've never really felt a pull to that that world you know what i mean like yeah i've never really felt a need to go try drugs or go get blackout drunk or any of those things yeah i definitely agree with that like i i think i mean in the conversations that we've had in the past even just talking about other people that we know who have gone down that path it's it's something that is hard for us to empathize with a lot of times because we we just don't have that same urge, same desire. And I think that that whole concept is something that we've kind of brushed around in the past. We've been close to, sometimes we've directly addressed it already in just a few episodes we've done here. And it's interesting that it's coming up again here, but just this idea of so many things that went exactly right and the idea of why that is. Because there, obviously there's more than one possible explanation. We attribute it to God. People have all kinds of different explanations for exactly what that is. But it's something that's really compelling to me, looking back through our own history and our present in this kind of thoughtful way because we're doing it for a podcast and seeing all the little things that go just so to lead to a certain result. Like all the little things that have to go just right in order for you to have this moment with this random show that leads to this growth in your character and really a shaping of who you are. Very, yeah, very hard to make the argument that it was random chance for sure. There's so many different things that have to happen there. And then on the other hand, like I'm someone who's, who's torn on it where like, and I think this is part of where faith comes in, where I want to believe and I choose to believe in providence and have faith that that's what it is. But then at the same time, I find myself asking, like, uh, you know, you get into the statistics of it all and you can start to get really cynical. There's one, yes. I think it was on the 99% Invisible podcast. Incorrect. It was Radio Lab. You fool. Uh, it would be way too hard to find that clip. Wrong again. A 10-year-old girl named Laura Buxton lets go of a balloon. Phew. That balloon floats 140 miles and lands. <laughs> in the yard of another 10-year-old girl named Laura Buxton. This is for real. Yes. What are the odds that that's the truth, right? And the point that this statistician brought up in the episode was that it's not so much a question of, like, what are the odds? Like, that's one way to ask the question. But statistics are all about exactly that. How do you ask the question? So if instead of asking, what are the odds that could happen, you ask, what are the odds that it would happen to someone, then all of a sudden it's changed, right? Like the blade in the grass paradox. The golfer hits the ball down the fairway and the ball lands on a particular blade of grass. If the blade of grass could talk, you know, the, the blade of grass would say, wow, oh my 
God! What are the odds, are the odds that that ball, ball, out of all the billions of blades of grass... Everywhere to the right, left, to the right, and me! It lands on me! How did it come to be that it just landed on me? I don't know, it's sort of like a miracle, really. And it is sort of miraculous, but... What we know is that it was going to land on some blade of grass somewhere, so it's nearly a 100% chance that some blade of grass was going to say, wow, what are the odds that that ball was going to land on me? So someone's going to get hit. It's guaranteed. And like, it's just that kind of thing of there's a couple different ways that are compelling to my mind to think about it. But I, I think I sit where you do at the end of the day, where it happens so frequently that it feels to me and seems to me not only in emotion, but in logic as I'm analyzing it and going through stuff like this with you, that there's something greater behind it, that there's some level of, of providence at play. Sure. No, I would agree. I, I find and I find statistics and, and anything like that super fascinating, especially when you enter into the realm of business. And in fact, I think I have to take statistics at some point, which oh boy, as I'm being told from my what's the word, my colleagues is going <laughs> to be very challenging. So, oh, okay. um, I have a question for you though that kind of directs us in more of a, I guess, a political nature. I know you, you're not, you're not a huge fan of authority. I think I know. Uh, you know yeah. The, <laughs> it, I would say, right. okay, now, let me rephrase that. I don't want to paint the wrong picture. People that don't know you. <laughs> um, arbitrary authorities, like things that don't. It's like, okay, well, why? This doesn't make any sense. Why are we doing it this way? You know, things that are stu- stupid authority, right? And you are in caps, so you under, you obviously understand the importance of it in a sense. But for sure, um, I guess I'm curious of when you would say it's okay to question authority. When does when does it become either illegitimate or when does it come when does it come to a point where it's like, okay, you know, this this has to stop. Like when. When does it cross that line? As you look a lot of times at examples in history, Martin Luther King Jr., for example, making an argument for civil disobedience is when the laws become immoral. So for mm-hmm. you, is that when authority becomes immoral or is that when it just becomes, you know, stupid? Like what, Dumb, what's that yeah. line for you? I guess? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's super fascinating and ties back to the whole thing we're talking about, which is, you know, the authority figure of your father and that rebellion in some way being justified. So, yeah, you're right to say that I I have an issue with authority a lot of times uh oftentimes <laughs> probably a, a fault more than a um strength i guess and it, it all depends i i don't think it's gotten me into trouble a ton i think a huge part of that is what you had mentioned which is cap the civil air patrol which for those that don't know is the auxiliary of the air force so that's something that i did from the time i was 12 till the time i was 19 19 or 20 um So it was a huge part of my life, basically, my growing up. So going through this military style training, you know, I went to boot camp. I led boot camp. I was a flight sergeant. I was a cadet commander for an entire squadron for years. I don't even know how long I did it. It might have been three or four, maybe even five. I don't know. It It was a really long time. But I was essentially the highest ranking cadet. So I was in charge of all the other cadets and I was in charge of making meetings run every week and all this extra stuff outside of that. And and I think in a way it, that did two things for me. First of all, I love Civil Patrol. My own son will probably be forced to to go through it. So I think it's really <laughs> positive and it taught me how to deal with authority really, really well. And that's why I say, well, my attitude towards authority oftentimes is not a, a character strength. It doesn't get me into trouble because through that, I've learned how to deal with authority, how to talk to people in authority and maneuver within those situations in such a way that I can advance instead of hurting myself ultimately. That being said, as you know, as my friend and someone that I just talk to more or less openly, I really oftentimes find that, especially in, like you were saying, the political sphere and even outside of that, authority oftentimes is dumb 
And the question of morality versus just simple efficiency is definitely a valid one. I think as far as a mass society and a mass philosophy in that sense, I would be hard pressed to implement a standard that was anything but immoral leadership justifies a, a rebellion, if you will, or a protest, simply because the standard of what is quote unquote stupid is different for everybody. That's a pretty dangerous, a pretty dangerous bar to set. It's a different, it's a dangerous precedent because you don't know what people are going to kick up against. That being said, for myself personally, oftentimes the point where I kick up against authority are simply that where it it's dumb where it doesn't it doesn't make sense and depending on the situation uh the way that i react to that is different if it's in a team setting if whether it's work which fortunately doesn't happen really at all or if it's anywhere else where i'm in this kind of tight-knit one-to-one contact with the person that's setting this thing that i don't think makes sense and me the person that needs to follow through on it then i do it because in that situation i want to do what's best for the team and what's best for the team is not to have someone sowing dissent and ruining the ultimate mission of the team when it comes to a much bigger system like the government or uh, a larger governing body, even the few times that I've worked for a corporation, that kind of style of leadership, oftentimes those rules, the things that get passed down that just make absolutely no sense, no matter how many different ways you look at it, or how many different people you talk to. And that's really what I'm talking about, too, is not the the kind of thing where you're like, well, that sounds dumb, and I won't look into it. I'm talking about the (laughs) things that like you think about and you try to figure out, and there's just no way to justify it, not just in your own head, but just like objectively on paper, this does not make sense. I'm the kind of person that will often just kind of flaunt those rules. Is flaunt even the right word? I'll I'll push them off. I won't. Yeah, I don't really care. Shun them. Shirk yeah, them? there know, you go. Like shirk that. them. I think that's what I was looking for. I'll shirk those rules. And a lot of times it's not an active protest because, again, I don't really care. I care too little to follow through on the stupid rule, but also too little to make an active protest out of it. I don't <laughs> right. I don't care that you're being dumb. You be dumb all you want. I'm not going to let it m- make my life harder. But if you want to keep doing it, do it. And I think we encountered that you and I did a lot in a in a in a old setting in high school. <laughs> oh yeah, um, where we were forced to kind of we were kind of in that in that place that you're talking about though, kind of you know in a sense not really caring, but in another sense like needing to establish a dialogue because the fact that we were sort of minors, I guess, still. But it is an interesting it is an interesting conundrum. It's an interesting. Uh, paradox, I guess, kind of determine determine where that picks up. Yeah. And that's why I like I have to be aware of it in my own head. Just because I think this is dumb. Sometimes I have to deal with it anyway. I had to that's part of being an adult, I think is you have to live within those arbitrary things that don't make sense. And sometimes you need to find a way to break around them. And you just need to find the best way to do that. I think that our experience uh, in high school was one of those times because we were trying to excel and do the best we could do with limited resources. And the limited resources also meant that we couldn't live up to certain standards that the right. organization had for us, right? So our option was either to live within their rules and not excel, or to break the rules and excel. Or bend the rules and excel, I think. Yeah, <laughs> really <Not> bend. <laughs> but even then, I will always say, if it's between those two things, 
then bend, break, whatever, the rules, and excel. Find the best way that you can do that. Communicate with your superiors, whatever you need to do to make it happen. A lot of times that means working with the person who you're getting around. Because at the end of the day, if you don't be dumb, right? I don't have any respect for someone who flaunts the rules and does it in a dumb way where you're just like, well, I'll just ignore it. Because what's going to happen when you ignore the rules? Whatever authority figure that you're trying to get around will find out and they have a very solid case against you and you lose. That didn't help you either. Now you just now you just lost anyway. So if you're going to do it, find the best way to do it. Find the best way to work around, bend, whatever, in order to excel in whatever situation you find yourself in. And I think that's my at least present philosophy when approaching these kind of issues. I like it. Bend it like Becca. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I get because we're learning about the Roman Empire right now and, and Western civilization. That's kind of the that's kind of the flip side to that is you have you know, when you have people that don't know how to challenge authority, you have a bunch of assassinations and that's just not sustainable. So <laughs> anyway, no, I was going to say something. I can't remember what it was. Riddle me this then while you're while you're thinking of that. We've obviously been on the same side of an issue like that in our own situation in high school. But tell me about like just your general philosophy. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure that we would see all of that exactly the same. I just kind of gave a little mini manifesto there. But obviously you have a lot more experience with working in the political sphere and, and what you want to do even in the future. So I'm wondering your attitude towards a lot of those things as someone that has a much more optimistic view, I would say, of authority than I do, whereas I would definitely characterize myself as a cynic when it comes to most established authority. Sure. So you mean, where would I draw the line when it comes to civil disobedience, I guess? Yeah, push the question back at you. uh, And if there's anything in what I just said that you would want to countermand or offer a rebuttal to? Well, I mean, I guess in in the, the most basic sense, it would have to be if there's a biblical violation because i think there's somewhere i don't remember what book it's in but it's paul talking about christians i guess interacting with government and all that and i mean even jesus in his example render unto caesar what is caesar's that type of thing mm-hmm. it's it's not immoral or unlawful to demand taxes for a working class i think where you have a problem is where i think the only biblical authority that is given to us is when and i say us just meaning christians is when the government clearly contradicts any biblical mandate. So that's pretty much the only time that I think that you could biblically disobey authority. Now, I think that we see other small examples in the Bible. You know, you look at Timothy, for example, and Paul taking him under his wing in a sense, being kind of an apprentice and a, I don't know, what's the, what's the, I guess a master. But I mean, what, no, what's the word for that? Not, not like a, uh, if you apprentice under someone, what's the person that you're apprenticing under calls? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I didn't know. Um, he wasn't a slave. He wasn't a master. He wasn't a slave. I don't know. What's your boss? Whatever. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Jedis right now. Always do. No more, no less. A master and an apprentice. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that would be true, right? Because they're, yeah, okay, so <laughs> your master and your apprentice relationship. So, master in terms of the ex- being an expert in the subject matter, I guess you're trying to learn, not like in an authority way. But, so, you look at Timothy, for example, and him being raised by his mom and his grandmother, and his dad being like this crazy Greek guy that was never around. <laughs> so, there are, and, and of course, the Bible says, honor your father and mother, but that 
command is not specifically, I guess, expounded upon. So that can mean different things to different people, A. But um, also, you know, him not, the Bible makes it very clear that he was in the right to, I guess, break away from that and kind of start his own his own journey in terms of, you know, going ministering and, and his, something his dad would have never endorsed, right? So I think that in that sense, the Bible is kind of indirectly saying that's okay to do. Now, I don't know if it becomes as clear when you're looking at, for example, so for me, if the government wanted to come in and take my guns, I would say absolutely not. You're never going to do that. Now, is that biblical? I don't, I don't, probably not. Do I care? Yes, but also <laughs> I'm going to keep my guns because I think there's a, I think there's an inherent right to self-defense built into the, built into the Bible. Some people would disagree. Mennonites, for example, think that they're, you know, you don't have that, you shouldn't protect yourself using violent force. I disagree with that. So, I mean, that's the thing is it, it really, it, there's so many schools of thought. Um, but yeah, to, to, in, a, in a basic sense, I guess the only time you can, you can biblically disobey authorities when there's an immoral command given to you. For example, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar, um, that, i.e., you know, et cetera. So that, that to me would be the only time you could actually do that. And in, and in fact, when it came to my dad in the home giving commands that were clearly in contradiction, um, and abusing, you know, a patriarchal authority, I guess, if you will then that had to stop. So that would be, um, I think, where I guess the line gets crossed. But yeah, you're right in the sense that I, I guess I would be more optimistic in terms of I, ha I still have some faith in our government. I think that you know, there's still good people in, in, in different branches. I think that you know, Trump's doing a great job, stuff like that. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I think that's a tough, a tough question to answer. It's one that we've been wrestling with for a long time for a good reason because it's very complicated. So yeah, exactly. And to your credit, like that's definitely as a Christian, the biggest challenge for me in my attitude towards authority and the way that I, I think about it and the way that I treat it a lot of times, which is very transactional, is that passage. And I actually found it. So it's uh, Romans 13 in uh, the ESV. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And it goes on to kind of expound on that a little bit more. And I think, I think, and this is something that again is evolving, which fits very well into to our whole thing here, but I think it falls, my philosophy falls within that where I I have enough respect for authority and specifically governmental authority, like it's mentioned here, that I follow the rules, right? You know, it's not like I'm I'm flaunting my taxes or I'm breaking laws or anything like that. I mean, I speed pretty regularly. <laughs> that's that's probably my most frequent crime. But in terms of my general attitude towards it, I think that fits. But it's something that I'm currently and I've been for a while kind of wrestling with and and coming to terms with is should my attitude be more optimistic? I'm definitely glad that people like you exist, people that are more optimistic and think that change is possible. But I've always been, well, always is a, is a bold term. Uh, for a long time, I've been, and as you well know, have been the kind of person that's more like it, it could all burn tomorrow and I <laughs> wouldn't really care. Right. So it's, it's that balance. Um, so third, third, uh, watching, I guess, assignment for you when you get a chance. You should definitely watch <laughs> Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with Jimmy Stewart, which is yes. also on that list. Very good. I love Jimmy Stewart, and that movie's been on my list for a long time, but I oh, have not so watched great. it. 
It's so great. That will, even for me, like getting kind of burned out in government, that will like restore your faith in humanity for a little bit. So <laughs> it's really good. It's, I think it's before It's a Wonderful Life. So he's pretty young in there, but it's it's nice. really good. Really good movie. But anyway, to what you were saying earlier about authority being instituted by God, I, remind, I remember the, the example of Jesus to Pilate when he said, you know, why are you silent? Like, don't you know that I have the power or whatever to, to kill you or let you live? And, and Jesus' response is something like, you'd have no power at all if it wasn't already given to you from above or something like that. And it was a super powerful interaction. It was like basically him kind of subjugate, you know, subjecting himself to that power. Is obviously, he's he's so far above this in every every conceivable possible way. But he's allowing himself, he's allowing himself to be run through this process. So I guess that in, in and of itself is kind of the perfect example. Like, yes, he, you know, he was obedient to death and, we're not, you know, I'm not Jesus. So that's kind of my excuse, I guess, is like, I, I, yes, that was great. And that was perfect. And he is perfect. But I, I'm flawed, a flawed human, you know, so I want to keep my dang guns. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that kind of thing. Anyway, that's just a, a, an aside, but that kind of goes into what you were saying. So anyway. And I think that that's even uh, a really good example because it's practical. Whereas Paul is just kind of philosophizing and giving what is ultimately like a textbook command. Jesus is living it, right? So I think what a lot of people wrestle with is the idea that this every governmental power, anyone with power in the world is has that power because God allows them to have that power. So then when you see these incredible abuses that happen today and all throughout human history, how is it that God allows that to happen? And does that make God evil? There's all kinds of implications and, and stuff that you can argue about within that that we don't really have time for. But to see... Jesus lived that out like Jesus was fully aware that the only power that Pilate has is the power that is given to him by God and it is that exact same power that will lead to him dying and well being tortured and then dying that same day you know so the it's not like Jesus isn't fully aware of the consequences of the the philosophy he's laying out there he lives it in that exact same moment which i i thought was super powerful absolutely i was going to say uh to loop us back to supernatural land a little bit yes i'm curious and i i part of this you'll have to fill me in on again in the terms of how this all works out with supernatural but i find it interesting this parallel between you and sam and your father and his father because in at least this story, this episode, not knowing the broader story of the season and the show, there's definitely a reconciliation that happens. And there's this kind of moving forward. And obviously, the the abandonment of Sam's father is, I think, uh, eventually justified in some sense, or at least he attempts to give some justification, where at least you can say like his heart was in the right place. And obviously, you don't have that. There's something that's a lot harder for you to deal with and and ultimately reconcile with if you have it all. So I'm wondering how that part of the story works for you from there. You have this moment of conflict that obviously has a very clear one-to-one. So do you just see it as a complete divergence, like Sam and his dad branch off into their own story and yours is completely different? Or do you still see some parallels in the way that that has or could work out in the future? I would say that that would be a hope for the future, probably. So obviously, television, they have to condense that that plot arc. But I'm hoping maybe one day that can happen, you know, in our same story. I think in Supernatural, his explanation is kind of when he when he left for college, Sam kind of misunderstood his dad. And that's the only thing that I was thinking of is he was gonna you were gonna be alone. I didn't want you to be alone, and that was why I reacted that way. So it makes sense. Like okay, I get why he he may have done that, why Sam may have misunderstood that reaction. 
but you know, no, to answer your question, I haven't had that reconciliation yet. Obviously it's something that I hope for and it's something that I will keep praying about, but no, I would say that in that sense, that would be a part of the story in terms of parallel that I would hope would be a future part of our, of my own personal life's episode. Absolutely. Do you see, or do you think you have, and this might be a question that you just simply don't know until you're experiencing it, but do you think that there are, there's anything that you've pulled from witnessing the reconciliation of these two characters you associate with that might help you in how you think about it now and how you hopefully will eventually approach it? Dang. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, really, it, it just took them both getting on the same page. I don't really think it's uh, that may be where it kind of diverges from from my own stories. I think we're, we kind of we're pretty much we understand where the other person is. And it's just we're just missing. And it's, it really just comes from a fundamental lack of one side not willing to acknowledge anything that's happened. So that's kind of what it takes to have that reconciliation, right? Is they both kind of had to acknowledge my dad, his dad's like, you know, this is what I was thinking. Sam's like, okay, well, that's why I did this. So I can't, it takes two, two to reconcile. So until my, until my own dad's willing to, to kind of admit that, and like, we can't really get to that same point that they were able to in the, in the series. So I guess in that sense, it would be that there kind of has to be a meeting in the middle, right? And you can't do that without two people coming halfway. So I guess that would be what I would take away from that. But that's not really something I can affect, unfortunately. So yeah, absolutely. Something that you kind of have to wait for. Right, right. And I would hope that one day it does happen. But yeah, in the meantime, yeah, I think it, we kind of diverge. We kind of diverge there from supernatural land to reality. Fascinating. Well, I think uh, that divergence is actually the, the perfect place for us to end. I think uh, the only concluding thought that I would have is something that I had kind of briefly mentioned earlier, but I think that it's really interesting, even just comparing and contrasting the two different pieces of media we brought, because I think that Mother, for me, and one of the reasons that I brought it up is because while the effect that it has is very subjective to each individual viewer, it's going to affect everyone. Like, it's somewhat, everyone has an opinion, <laughs> you know, uh, whether that's disgust or love or whatever else in between and i think that this particular piece supernatural is interesting because while it's still incredibly subjective it's a much larger scale whereas mothers offers very intense reactions very intense opinions this episode really it, it, you can leave you i wouldn't be surprised to have people watch this if they go through with it and watch it out of context have completely neutral reactions of just like okay that was an episode of a show we'll never watch anything from it ever again now i can participate in the conversation all the way to a, a reaction as profound and intense as your own dictated by again your context and your subjective experience and i just think that difference yet similarity between them is really really interesting it's kind of beauty of media is that it all affects us so differently in the same way that art would i guess yeah exactly exactly do you have any final thoughts for us on this my friend i don't think so man no it's been it's been good to been good to reconnect i think we'll have have a special episode next month for y'all to be looking for right i don't know if you want to enter that yeah. or not. we probably shouldn't say who yet but <laughs> it, will be, it will be exciting. Yeah, well, let's wrap up. And now your hosts conclude their conversational quest with some housekeeping and occasional appeals for your attention on social media. Like you said, we'll probably have a special guest next month. And if we don't, it just means that it's further down the road. But it, we'll have one soon. We're going to start incorporating more guests into everything. One one correction from last week, I was asked to... Well, I wasn't asked to include, but... I, I, it was brought up and I figured I would include it mostly because it's funny. Last week, I mentioned that I'm going to be on Franchise Fatigue. Oh, yeah. And I referred to uh, Gabriel Green and James Hamrick over there as 
Ragnarok haters, and I don't think Gabriel has listened to it, but James took major offense to that term oh, really? being applied. Yeah, he he was very <laughs> offended. So we would just like to to say for the record that they're not Ragnarok haters, but maybe they just don't like it as much as everyone else did. Ah, uh, hipsters. I get. I don't. Uh, well, you just have to at this point. If you care that much, you're just going to have to tune into the episode of Franchise Fatigue and find out. But I, I figured I would offer that up to uh, to appease the, the Franchise Fatigue gods. It's in the olive branch. Exactly, exactly. What else we got? What'd you get for, for uh, ticks, my friend? What'd you get? Uh, I got you at four. Uh, I got you at six. So. Dang it. <laughs> okay. Live to die another day. I definitely had more than four, but I uh, I appreciate the, the lack of counting. You bet that was your fifth, by the way. Dang it. <laughs> Gonna lose before the end here. No, no, absolutely not. It's counted. It's counted. It's it's it's, it's too late. It's set in stone. <laughs> I'm still I'm counting, not, man. I'm not putting that down. I've worked We're too hard time. for this win. <laughs> <laughs> people need to comment and tell us what people should win or what we what what whoever wins should win. No one's well, told us yet. I have no motivation. I know. It's rough. I know you guys aren't don't want to comment and tell us, but just do it. It's good. I swear. Uh, I think that's about it. Oh, <laughs> an interesting foreshadowing for fu- a future episode. We don't know exactly when we'll get to it yet, but a future episode. If you hear uh, a baby crying in the background, that that is my child, and I apologize. Oh yeah. <laughs> but like I said, just weird foreshadowing. If it even makes it through, I'm not 100 percent sure that the mic caught it, but I could hear it. So I'm assuming that some of it made it in. I think that's about it. It's rough for me to have a clicky pen when we do this because I just want to click it and it's oh, adding yeah. background noise. I have a I have a pen that has a little it's a little guy with like yarn hair and I've been like yeah. playing with that the whole time. <laughs> Very entertaining. <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. Uh, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up? No, this is that was your sixth filler, so now we're tied. <laughs> Gosh, dang! I told you I'm not counting. No way, no how. I've won. Okay. You can't take. I guess up to me. the viewers, man. I don't think Dang you should man. be playing God here. Well, you called them viewers again, so I feel like Whatever. they should definitely be against you. <laughs> They're viewing the Spotify page to find it. Perfect. Well, like uh, like we always say, join us in the conversation. Our social media is linked below. We are at zero 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 podcast on every social media you could possibly imagine rate us like us do all the things uh, especially on itunes it helps and it gets us new listeners not yes. viewers so right. we're trying to grow the show rate us well by the way don't just rate us yes only five stars uh five stars are nothing you know the old saying if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all <laughs> exactly but do say something even if you don't have anything nice to say just say five stars anyway if you don't have anything nice to say, say five stars. That's the new phrase, <laughs> and it applies exclusively to this podcast. Perfect. Copyright. Yes, 100%. So do that. Share it. Get us out there. We were just talking before the show about how we're going to be better about our social media because uh, neither one of us are particularly good, but we're going to be better, and we're going we're gonna to get that side of it down since that's probably a relatively important side of this particular business we find ourselves in. If you want to follow me and all the various things that I do, go to commoncandor.com slash You'll find all the projects I work on and all of my social media. James, where can the people find you? I'd be at RealJamesKing on Instagram and Snapchat. Beautiful. And again, all of that is linked below. Rate, like, subscribe, smash that thing i'm bob <laughs> uh, dat, dat, i don't even know how do the youtubers do this 
Smash that subscribe button. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, anyway, to conclude, we will see you all next month. And for now, to someone who is not Mr. King, we say good night, James. This concludes our broadcast day. Good night and God bless America.